Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. This episode is part of a series recorded remotely in March 2020 to look at the impact of COVID-19 on brands, businesses, and consumers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Pandemic COVID-19 is, of course, everywhere, all over the global news channels at the moment, and is pretty much anything anybody is talking about, as individuals, as people, and business as well. We are on the cusp of a major change in the world economy. Now, how that plays out in uh, retail, and particularly within the area of grocery retail, is something we're here today to talk about. And I'm, I'm really pleased that I'm joined by a couple of experts. So my name is Fraser McKevitt. I am the Head of Retail and Consumer Insight at Kantar in the United Kingdom. And I'm joined by Jason Yu, who works in China for Kantar, and then Ray Gall, who is a retail expert with a focus on Europe. I'd like to start off by just asking you, Jason, can you just tell us a little bit more about what's going on in China and how what Kantar and you are doing there is measuring how people are behaving? So my name is Jason Yu, and uh, I'm look after the world panel business in Kantar in, in Greater China. So basically, for that part of the business, we measure how consumers buy groceries and other products on a daily basis. So really, we are observing how the Chinese consumers shops every day across all the different channels. Now, you probably all know that um, the outbreak of COVID-19 actually started just a few days before the Chinese New Year, which is obviously the most important sales season for many brands and retailers in the country. And generally enough, <laughs> the date of Chinese New Year is not exactly the same every year. So actually, for the particular kind of benefits of our readers we uh, and our clients, we actually started off producing weekly reports for our clients so that we are able to clearly see the impact of um, COVID-19 and its significance to the, to the market. Uh, last week, China government has already produced uh, uh, sort of official statistics showing that retail sales went down by almost 20% which is unprecedented, unseen in the last, almost in the last 50 years. And what we have observed is that the virus outbreak has significantly impacted the Chinese New Year sales, hence the business of many of our clients. And overall speaking, 
FMCG sales went down by about 12% in the entire four weeks to two weeks before Chinese New Year and two weeks after Chinese New Year. The drop of the grocery market was partly due to a decline of shoppers by 2% because some of the shoppers were instructed by the government to stay put, stay at home, but more severely impacted by the drop of the spend per trip by 10% as consumers actually reduce the number of categories they purchase. Of course, there are panic buyings in China, but at the same time that we are seeing that consumers cut down some of their category purchases because of the cancellation of New Year celebrations and, and gatherings. So they are not really buying those gifts for their families and relatives. In the meantime, of course, consumers has to reallocate their budget to buy some critical health and protective um, categories like face masks, disinfectant products or fresh fruits, for instance, as they spend more time at home. Jason, presumably, you know, you're talking about grocery there. Presumably grocery, I think you compared the drop in grocery sales against other sectors. Grocery has been a little bit protected because people still need to eat and drink, don't they? Yes, indeed. I, I think that if when we're looking at the general food category, they are doing very well. So in our data that we are seeing that people are buying noodles, they are buying other food categories, biscuits, and etc. But on the other hand, what we have seen, very interestingly, that because of the Chinese New Year is also really a very important season for family gatherings and friends socializing with each other, a lot of the categories are purchased for that purpose. And because people are cutting down or literally canceling every celebrations during this outbreak, so that people are not, consumers are not really buying those categories. And those categories play a very significant role in, in the total uh, grocery basket during the Chinese New Year weeks. So that's why we are seeing uh, such a huge uh, impact on the overall business uh, during the weeks before and after Chinese New Year. So paint a picture of what it's like going into the shops. You know, I, I presume, I don't know, perhaps uh, some shops must be shut. Are supermarkets still operating in the same way or are people having to, you know, have they shifted their purchasing to different kinds of channels or? Yeah, well, there there are actually, there were huge differences in terms of the performance of different retail channels. As the government uh, advised consumers not to go somewhere too crowded or full of people. So the big stores like the hypermarkets or big hypermarkets or big supermarkets are pretty empty. Okay. Uh, there are some people still shopping there. But actually, they have to actually operate uh, with reduced hours. They have to actually take temperature when people are going. And also, they, they probably shut down some of the some of part of their stores. But at the same time, we are seeing a very strong performance on smaller stores, the neighborhood stores, stores specializing in fresh foods. And also, very interestingly, the stores with the very strong delivery capabilities uh, in China called O2O, online to offline, so basically mean that you can actually order uh, on your mobile apps um, on your phone, and then you can actually get your grocery delivered to your door or delivered to your main gate because the, the delivery guy cannot really get into a home. And also e-commerce is really uh, seeing a soaring demand uh, during this period of time. So there is a huge uh, divergence, um, if you like, uh, in the performance of different type of retail channels. And some are really doing great. Uh, others are, are actually suffered quite significantly. Right. Do you recognize any of this picture from Europe, perhaps particularly in southern Europe, where the pandemic has hit earlier? Yeah, I, I think the consumer behavior is very similar. As we look at Europe generally, there's two threads that we try to look at alongside the consumer thread, which is the epidemiological thread. So when did people first get sick and how many? 
but then also the political threat. So what did the governments do? And particularly, we look at both of those from a retail behavior point of view. And what's very interesting when you look across the four biggest countries of Europe, Spain, Italy, France, and Germany, from the epidemiological point of view, the the trend was very similar. So the the first cases uh, of either Chinese nationals getting ill in those countries or European nationals returning from the Far East and coming back with the sickness all started roughly the same time, end of January. What was interesting is that the consumer behavior was the first to adapt to this scare, and the the political change was a little bit delayed. So interestingly, in two countries, France and in Germany, Aldi and Lidl, the German discount, hard discount supermarket chains, were the first ones to announce that they think that something was happening because consumers were starting to stockpile and buy different types of goods well in advance of any government warning. And what's also interesting is on the political front, when we look at the the different governments, they all had different levels of strategy to contain a pandemic. France had the most rigid set of um, containment policies, but they enacted them much later than some of the other countries. Germany probably had the most detailed plan, but refused to enact that plan. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And so what was very interesting is In fact, Spain was the country that instituted the most number of restrictions in the fastest period of time. So basically every day something would change. So restaurants were no longer allowed. The next day then it was non-essential shops would be shut down. And then there would be restrictions on travel um, between towns or travel at certain hours. And this seems to be the trend and it, it matches what Jason's saying is that a lot of the shift in consumer behavior once people are in lockdown, is around trying to find ways to keep yourself entertained through any kind of internet entertainment, things like that, to surprise people, to connect with people, but equally to get some goods into the into the house that are for essential needs, but also something surprising and something interesting. The stockpiling point's interesting, isn't it? There's, there's certainly been here in the UK, there's been all a wash over social media with pictures of empty shelves. People aren't taking pictures of the full shelves. And from my observation, there's a lot of full shelves in the stores as well. Did stockpiling cause any short-term or long-term shortages in um, China, Jason? Well, definitely, as you said, you know, especially in a couple of days after the government announcing the lockdown of some of the cities and people are just uh, 
you know, like rushing to shops to buy, you know, instant noodles, frozen food, etc. So there is a, a huge amount of panic buying happening. But fortunately, China is very big, and the government is very capable of regulating everything. So after a while, people feel that there's no need to actually make those stockpiling purchases. And also, e-commerce sort of did a really great job in terms of supplying the goods to the consumers. So you know, once consumers see that there is plenty of supply, then they won't really you know get into those behaviors. Yeah, we we must come back to e-commerce actually, because there's this capacity constraints there that I'd just like to explore a little bit more. But to to stick with stockpiling for just a moment, here in Britain, there's been you know quite a lot of concentration, and you know people calling out others, um, you know, selfish behaviour. Famously, it's been toilet rolls, hand washes, things to clean the house, um, headache pills, etc., have been cleared off the shelves, and uh, some other fresh foods as well. We've just done some analysis, actually, looking at about 100,000 shoppers we've got their behavioural data from. And um, interestingly, stockpiling is definitely going on, but it's not in the way you might think of a few people just absolutely piling the trolleys high. What actually seems to be going on is that an awful lot of people, essentially all of us, are just putting a few extra items in our shopping trips and we're going shopping more often. Now, the combination of going to the shops more often and then picking up a few more items, a few more categories is just enough to tip those supermarket shelves in certain areas just over and to be completely stripped bare. So the big question looking forward, how this is going to play out at some point, presumably consumers have got enough stuff in the house. They can't get any more food in the fridge, even if they bought another freezer. They can't fill that freezer anymore. So I, I would anticipate, and I, I appreciate your views here on what's happened elsewhere in Europe, that we're soon going to reach a point of equilibrium where you know supermarkets seem to be doing a pretty disciplined job on their supply chains, illness allowing. I just wonder if we're going to see a, an abatement in that panic buying. Yeah, so I'll speak from a European perspective. I think one of the most interesting things uh, from a political point of view is that going to the supermarket is the only thing or the only legitimate reason for you to leave the house. And so what we have seen, especially in countries where that's been going on for a few weeks now or a few days, is that people get their social connection by going to the supermarket. So that would match exactly what you're saying. People going more often Oftentimes, that's now an excuse to get out of the house. And um, obviously, when they pop into the supermarket, they, they might be looking for the essentials, but also a surprise or two. And I think that has been the trend. That's backed up by our data. How do you think, Ray, that you know the, the logistical operations to supply this desire for more online deliveries is set up? Because the, the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, yesterday urged people to get their groceries delivered. Are the supermarkets set up to actually be able to increase significantly the number of online deliveries they can make? They're definitely not set up for it. So we've seen in, in uh, I don't want to speak too much about the UK, but in other markets as well, uh, we've seen retailers starting to refuse new customers online and even delaying and sort of restricting the amount of goods that you can get if you're online just because the systems can't handle it. The most famous example is actually not from Europe, but from the US where Amazon's tried to add 100,000 staff, and they're just simply struggling to find that staff and then train them up. So they're shutting down deliveries of certain things uh, to to sort of redirect it towards essentials. And I think that will be the trend in every single country. The the one thing that a British audience might appreciate is 
we're starting to see a similar behavior, like the evacuation of Dunkirk in World War II, where you've got lots of people, Uber drivers, taxi drivers, who have no work at the moment. In some cities, in some townships, they're using those drivers who are, you know, would otherwise not be allowed to work. They're using those people to try and help facilitate the deliveries in the supply chain. So I think we're going to see a lot more flexibility and creativity around using people who have a car or have a truck or have some sort of form of transportation uh, to help ease the pressure on some of the retailers. Yeah, indeed. And we're we're seeing, you know, supermarkets taking on huge numbers of staff and sometimes sort of directly from, you know, the likes of fast food chains that are are shutting down and, um, you know, have have staff to swap, for example. Jason, do you think the behaviours that people have shown and the habits that they've learnt at this time Is there any evidence in China and and the rest of Asia that this is going to act as a catalyst for a more permanent change in the way that people go shopping? Yeah, I think think this is a really interesting question and something that we have been talking or debating a lot with uh, media and and the clients. I I do believe that some of those behaviours will stay. So, for example, the the focus uh, or appreciation of health, okay, or appreciation of you know the health status of the family is probably going to stay at least for one year or two, where people appreciate more the the meaning of life, um, the meaning of families, and and really the significance of health to each and every one of them. Sometimes we don't really appreciate that because we take it everything for granted. And I do think that also you know the significance of a, a pandemic like uh, COVID nineteen. Is going to accelerate um, um, some of the some of the changes that we are seeing. So, for instance, the digitalization of grocery retailings, uh, which obviously already happened before uh, twenty twenty, but it's going to be accelerating. Um, partly, we're talking about you know delivery capacities, the, the digitalization of your offers, and how you can actually sell to your customers even when your stores are shutting down. You know, a lot of retailers have been extremely resilient and creative in terms of coming up with new ways of selling and servicing their customers without their shop open. And uh, I talked to a very friends who've been general manager of a luxury label brand, and she's saying that you could have your store open with no customer working, or you can have your store shut, shut down with you know, hundreds of uh, garments sold to your customers. So there are a lot of uh, new ways of engaging your, your shoppers, engage your customers, um, that you just need to find out and, and capitalize on. So I think uh, those will be the things to stay. And I do believe that this uh, pandemic is going to accelerate some of the trends that we are already seeing in, in the market. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, China and the East in general is, is in many ways well ahead in e-commerce and particularly mobile e-commerce compared to, to the, the West of the globe. Um, what, one thing we, we're just trying to get our head around here is what's going to happen to all that spending that people have, you know, on food and drink that people have done out of home up till now. So while grocery has been a fairly slow growth sector in recent years, probably over the last decade, um, eating and drinking out of home as part of the experience, part of the experience economy has been, you know, relatively speaking, booming. And, you know, there's no doubt people will pay an awful lot more for a drink sitting in a cafe than they will a supermarket to drink at home. So, in, in Britain, I think about four billion pounds a month is spent on food and drink out of the home. And that's excluding alcohol, by the way. 
So the big question is what happens to that spending? You know, we're working hard at the moment to try and understand that because there's two ways for it to flow. So some of it is going to end up back in the home, which is going to act as a little bit of a boost for the supermarkets. They're busy enough already, but you know, I'm not eating at the canteen at work. I'm not popping out to a sandwich um, shop at lunchtime. I'm not family out for um, for evening meal. Just trying to work out, is that money going to mostly go to the supermarkets or is some of it actually going to translate to those new aggregated delivery services, the, you know, the Uber Eats of this world, the Deliveroo? You know, will people who can't eat in a restaurant, are they going to do a takeaway instead? It's not quite clear. And I don't know if you have any views on this, Ray. It's, you know, how much is going to end up back in the supermarkets and how much is going to end up in that, that new kind of economy? Yeah, I think at least in France, um, especially the city of Paris, the fast food deliveries, the delivery aggregators have been running wild and they're facing the same challenges as the supermarkets in terms of getting staff on bicycles, staff on, on motorbikes uh, with the correct skills, because obviously you can't just deliver. You've got to deliver in a contact free way and you have to be certified by the government that you're not contaminating uh, the food that you're delivering. So that's new skills that everybody needs to learn. I would say speculative what's going to happen next. I would say probably there are some new skills that people are learning, especially the younger generation. So the 12 year olds, the 15 year olds, they're learning how to cook at home and maybe that some of them will enjoy it. So I think it, it may have an impact on how people behave after things come back to normal. There's probably more people learning how to cook right now than there was a year ago. And I think that might have an impact on people's preference for throwing a party or having a night in. But that's just speculation. Yeah, Ray, I, I, I think what you said was something that we are actually witnesses in China where during the you know the past four or five weeks of uh, lockdown, people are staying at home. They are really bored. Apart from working from home and learning uh, new skills and uh, you know playing games, etc., a lot of people actually are showing their pictures of cooking, baking a cake, or you know fixing a new cocktail. So all these new skills, and I do think those are very, very interesting um, trends to watch out. So after you know people can get out of the their home. Are they still willing to go back to their kind of like a DIY food and beverage making, or they just go back to their normal bars and restaurants enjoy the life? But on the other hand, Counter did a survey at the beginning of February asking consumers the top three things they want to do uh, most after their life returning back to normal. And actually, number one activity they want to do is to going out and, and, and to all the out-of-home the channels that Fraser described. So it's really interesting. I think, uh, you know, probably a bit sort of 50-50, really, you know, when everything goes back to normal, what will happen? And personally, I do still believe the longer term sort of uh, vibrance of uh, our home market, which I believe that, you know, that uh, new lifestyles and and, uh, a lot of the opportunities for many brands. I guess, obviously, everything also depends very heavily on on the economy and how consumers' uh, income is affected by you know, the global economic crisis many people describe. And that's probably something that we all need to factor in. You've been listening to Future Proof. For all episodes and more information, visit Kantar.com or OxfordFutureOfMarketing.com. 
please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. Thank you.